0: When you're always focusing on giving value and just being a great friend, building that relationship, being curious, getting to know people, uh, I find things often work out
1: really well. Can we agree that leadership isn't based on title or position? I have created this podcast to talk to everyday people who lead in extraordinary ways in their everyday lives, both professionally and personally in the hope that it will inspire everyday people like you and me to realize we are everyday leaders. Welcome to Everyday Leadership. On today's episode of Everyday Leadership, I have the pleasure of talking to Andy Storch. He is a podcast host of two podcasts. He's also a consultant and a sought after speaker in the talent and career development world. He recently just released a book called On Your Career, On Your Life, where he gives practical advice about being intentional about where you want to go in life. We delve into why now is the right time for this book to come out, as well as taking learnings from his life, from his guests around personal growth, about focusing on your zone of excellence and your zone of genius, leadership, creating psychological safety, and so much more. Let's get into it. Today, I have the pleasure of sitting down with the one and only Andy Storch. Andy is an author. He's a consultant, he's a coach, um, speaker, and a facilitator. How are you doing, Andy? Shopee, I am doing
0: fantastic. Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, I am so excited to be here.
1: All right, so It's a pleasure. I've been looking forward to, to this conversation. In fact, when I was looking into you and to your work, and I came across the Talent Development Virtual Summit that you did a couple of weeks ago, congratulations on that, by the way.
0: Thank you. Yeah, it was a awesome. big, uh, it was a lot of work, but I think it went pretty well.
1: What was the idea behind behind that? Did you find it too hard or easy to organize remotely? Well, it's interesting.
0: So obviously, you know, we're living in this remote, virtual world now um, under COVID. And uh, before COVID, I was, uh, you know, I've historically worked a lot in talent development, selling and running training and development programs. Um, I host a podcast about talent development called the Talent Development Hot Seat, and so I built a big network in that space. And uh, I hosted a conference, uh, a live event, uh, back in January before COVID, uh, where we had about 150 people getting together, uh, some really phenomenal speakers uh, on topics around talent development. It was just a really awesome conference that I put together with my friend Bennett Phillips. And um, you know, back when you could do those things, right? Shake hands and hug people <laughs> at a large event. And uh, I was sitting here thinking a couple months into the pandemic that, you know, we're not going to conferences for a while, but people are still hungry to learn and connect with each other. And of course, I'm also looking for ways to build my brand. And I had recently launched a membership community for talent development professionals called the Talent Development Think Tank. And uh, I started really hearing about this idea of uh, a virtual summit. And so, you know, I see some other organizations putting some virtual type conferences together, and I thought there was an opportunity to do things differently because it seemed like they were all kind of sticking to a very traditional model of, you know, instead of paying $1,500 for an in-person conference, maybe pay $500 for, uh, or or still even some of them were trying to charge 1000 or $1,500 for a virtual conference, which seemed a little crazy to me. But, you know, they were getting it good for them, right? Um, I thought there was an opportunity to do something differently. So I went and studied uh, as much as I could about this subject, I started following uh, and learning from a guy who's hosted tons and tons of virtual summits and went through one of his courses. I'm always always about all about investing in myself and investing in learning when I'm going to try new things. And um, I haven't hired an assistant a few months ago who had hosted a couple of virtual summits herself or been involved in them. And together we put this thing together. We went out and got um, 32 speakers. Uh, expert speakers in the kind of the talent development realm, we put together a kind of a story arc of, you know, what are the challenges and things that people in talent development are thinking about, feeling about. So, you know, it was about assessing the talent in your organization, assessing needs, getting executive buy-in, building a great uh, culture virtually, um, helping your employees own their careers, um, developing people virtually. And then our fifth day, was a five-day summit, uh, was all about diversity, equity, inclusion, because we know now uh, especially as a result of the social justice movement this year, that uh, we have to build DEI into everything we do. So I went and got some really great DEI speakers um, for that DEI day. And uh, we made it free to attend to watch the sessions uh, live and then uh, had some upgrade options. And it went really well. We had uh, did a ton of marketing, uh, tried all kinds of stuff. Our speakers got involved in promoting it. We had almost 2,000 people register for the summit and um, made some money from it. And, um, you know, a lot of people said they got a ton of value from the speaker sessions. And for me, probably the biggest thing was just the relationships that I either built or furthered with a lot of the speakers that I was able to get on board. I always just love doing things like that because you get to connect with so many interesting people with such great experience and wisdom and I love you know building those relationships. Just like I love opportunities like this. And you and I had never you know had a chance to talk before, and we get to know each other um, through doing this interview. So it was just a
1: it was a really great experience. That's amazing. That's a lot of people. And speaking about relationships, you had a really really great lineup. Some real world world class um, speakers and leaders and thought leaders actually on on different subjects. How have you? Build those relationships because you also want to talk a lot about it. You talk about it in your podcast, talk about it in your art- articles. So I want to get real practical on that subject of building relationships, especially in the online world that we're living in right now. How do people actually go about developing those kind of relationships?
0: Yeah, it's interesting to me that uh, you know there are people out there who feel challenged, like maybe they can't network or build relationships now that we're in this remote or virtual world. I, I think it's easier than ever. Um, you know, basically the gist of it is like sit on LinkedIn and connect with people and and start conversations. Right. And I'm doing that all day, every day. Uh, Now I've had some advantages. I also started this podcast, the talent development hot seat about three years ago. And I started using that as a vehicle to build relationships with uh, senior talent development professionals, senior leaders, authors, experts, reach out and offer them an opportunity to come on the podcast. And That allowed me to build relationships with a lot of people. I found clients, I made friends, uh, and then hosting the conference, of course, helped uh, build my brand uh, in that space. Um, Although, you know, thinking back to the live conference, I think only one of our speakers from that conference ended up being a speaker on the virtual summit. Um, But we had a lot of past podcast guests. um, I guess some introductions, Uh, For instance, probably the biggest name speaker on our summit was Marshall Goldsmith. Um, I didn't know him previously, but I had an introduction to him from uh, Gary Ridge, the CEO of WD-40. And Gary had been a past guest on the podcast. And I think I got introduced to him through someone else, Michael Bungay-Stanier, I believe, or maybe it was Liz Weisman. I can't remember. Um, So, uh, you know, I I connect with people. I, I, you know, build a relationship. We get on Zoom or, you know, video chat. Um, always try to find a way to give value, uh, lead with curiosity, ask about them, build a relationship, and then ask for introductions. Who else do you know would be a great uh, you know, podcast guest or speaker or you know, something like that? Or do you know this other person? Uh, I'd love to connect with them and see if I can get that introduction. And some, some people come through big time and some people don't, and that's fine. You, know, you also have to go into it, I think, with no expectations is another really important part of it. Um, because when you, when you go into these situations with expectations, like, oh, I'm going to build a relationship with this person and they're going to give me this or become a client or make introductions or whatever, and then they don't, you're setting yourself up for disappointment, right? But when you're always focusing on giving value um, and just being a great, you know, a great friend, um, building that relationship, being curious, getting to know people, uh, I find things often work out really well. And so, uh, again, like a lot of people I knew, a lot of introductions, and then cold outreach too on LinkedIn and email. Just, you know, there were, there were probably a four or five speakers on the summit that maybe I had reached out to cold and say, I think you'd be a great fit and I'd love to get you on this summit. And a couple of them said no and some people said yes. And so we went
1: with what we got. I think one thing I know that stops a lot of people is that fear of rejection, or that no. Do you ever have that fear come across? when you're reaching out to people, especially during a cold or you just reach out regardless? Yeah, of
0: course. I've had a fear of rejection. I've been dealing with fear of rejection my entire life. Um, I've, you know, it's taken a long time to get past this. Uh, You know, sometimes I just think about the stakes. If I'm inviting, asking someone to speak on my virtual summit, I know I'm giving them a great opportunity. If they say no, uh, I'm disappointed, but I don't, I try not to feel like they're rejecting me. They're rejecting the opportunity, right? They either don't see the value or their their schedule is just, you know, really busy and they don't have the time. Um, You know, just as another example, I have, uh, I'm coming out with my first book in November, right? And I've been reaching out to a lot of authors in my network. Some I know well and some I don't know that well, uh, asking them if they'll read the book and write an endorsement, like a review for the book. And most people have said yes, uh, but i 've probably had five or six people so far say no, and usually the reason is i 've just got too much going on right now i won 't have a chance to look at it and you know they're not rejecting me saying i don't like you they're just saying i don 't have time for this, which is totally fine right that's their their choice, and I make those choices every day. So I think we have to you know I know you 're all about the mindset shift right if you if you I think we have to shift the mindset from it's the same thing with failure too, right? If we try something like let's say I tried this summit. And, you know, there were things that didn't go exactly as planned, but it went pretty well. But let's say that it had completely failed and I had, you know, five people who registered and I lost a bunch of money and whatever. Uh, It's important to look at these failures and these quote unquote rejections as not defining for us, right? So the failure is not, doesn't define me. It's just that that situation didn't work out as planned. So the rejection doesn't define me. Uh, It's just that they didn't see the value in it. And I'm in sales too, right? Like you and I are both out there. We consult and sell workshops and speaking engagements, things like that. Um, I'm always looking for new opportunities to work with companies, clients. And quite often I offer some things that people say, you know, not interested right now. And again, have to say like, okay, that's a rejection of that because they didn't see the value in it. And then you have to ask, what can I learn from this, right? Like what could I have done differently? Could I have... Um, shown the value more for those speakers that didn't sign up to speak on the summit. Um, you know, there were a couple of like chief HR officers, chief people officers. Did I not show them enough of the value to make them go, Oh man, I really need to speak on that summit. Instead they were like, ah, eh, it doesn't sound like it's for me. I'm too busy. And that, that was it. So I, I think all of these are, are learning opportunities for us.
1: I so think what you described there is what we call adopting a growth mindset where well, you look at that situation and you kind of turn around saying, okay, what can I learn from this? Is it the value I need to add? Or is it actually the fact that it might be a no right now, but doesn't mean it's a no later on because they don't have time for it. So that's very hard to develop that. And that takes a lot of knockbacks and it takes a lot of um, rejections. So over the years, how have you um, got to de- develop that exterior and, and adopt that kind of mentality and that mindset?
0: Yeah, um So I love the book Mindset by Dr. Carol Dweck, and that that book was definitely defining for me. And I'll go back further to say that I have gone through a transformation and that, you know, I wasn't always – sometimes you hear these people are like, oh, that's great for them. They got all this stuff figured out. It's like I had to figure all this out in practice. I was deathly afraid of rejection and judgment for most of my life. I had very few friends in school. Um, you know, when I got to high school and college, I was, I'd hardly ever talked to any girls that so was too afraid, you know, to, to talk to girls or ask them out because I was so afraid of rejection. Um, and, uh, luckily I finally did talk to one and, and convinced her to marry me. And we we've been married for over 16 years, but, um, I had to, I had to really change that mindset. And I think I did grow up with more of a fixed mindset and uh, when I started getting really into the world of personal development uh, about six, five, five years ago, um, I started reading a lot of books and learning as much as I could. And I realized that I had a real hunger for learning and development and growth. And I read that book, Mindset, by Dr. Carol Dweck, and I and I thought, Wow, I think I have grown up with a fixed mindset, which is that you know we think we have a fixed amount of intelligence or creativity. Um, I've said many times that I'm not very creative, or I'm not the type of person that can create a business or grow out and make money from it. And I've completely shifted my mindset on that to the growth mindset, which is that we can always get better at everything. We can always learn and grow, that there is no such thing as failure. There are only learning opportunities if we try. And so now I dive headfirst into all kinds of things like, I'm going to write a book, I'm going to host a virtual summit, I'm going to launch a membership community, and you know, I'm going to learn as much as I can on how to do it right. But if it doesn't work out well, then I will learn from that experience and I'll figure out what to do next. So uh, I I think it is a big mindset shift from the, if I do something and it doesn't work out, I'm a failure to the, if I do something and it doesn't work out, I'm going to learn from that and get better next time and use that almost as a badge of honor. And it's the same thing when you're reaching out to people to invite them on your show, and then, you know, just exam- yesterday I actually messaged a guy who has a really big time podcast um, and asked him if I could basically, if I could come on his show uh, to help promote my book. And he turned me down and said no. And I felt that pang of rejection. But then I was like, if I didn't try, it would never happen, right? He might have said yes. And, uh, and also, I think my approach could have been better. So I sat there and analyzed, like, how could my approach improve? Because I've learned so much about this. And I think I was too quick. To ask, and I could have, you know, done more to build the relationship ahead of time. So we can always learn from these opportunities and then grow and improve. I think that's brilliant.
1: So speaking about your book on your career, on your life, which is coming out November the sixteenth officially. What's the uh, book about? Because thinking about what you just talked about so far of changing your mindset, growing, developing. And then owning your career, owning your life. Where's the what does the link come into? And can you give us a little bit more about what the readers can expect in that book?
0: Yeah, well, as I've gone through, you know, especially gone through my own transformation um, in personal development, I, I've noticed that a lot of people out there, especially in the corporate world, seem to be drifting, operating in reaction mode, uh, waiting for others to tell them what to do, operating based on what society um, deems is the is the way to go. Um, maybe waiting for their manager or someone to come to them with their next career opportunity. And oftentimes that never comes. And I want people to really take full ownership to stop drifting and take control of their career, of their life and prepare for the future. And, uh, What I've also found is I've gone out there and gotten really into entrepreneurship and building a personal brand and going to a lot of conferences and things before the pandemic was that there was a lot of advice out there geared more towards entrepreneurs. Uh, And there was also a lot of advice out there I was hearing that said, if you are in a job and you're not very happy, you need to quit and go start your own business. And what I've learned from having a big network talking to a lot of people is that, you know, running your own business is not for everybody, right? That- It's risky, it's stressful. I personally love it. I have done a lot of self-discovery and figured out that this is what I love to do. Even when I don't make very much money, I still enjoy the process, right? But that is not for a lot of people. They would much rather be working for a company, working for someone else. They just want to be happier and more fulfilled, engaged in their career. So I wanted to create a resource for them, for those people, especially. Now, this book is useful for anyone, including entrepreneurs, um, but especially for corporate professionals who want to get the most out of their career, get their most out of life. And so I've laid out a framework in this book, starting with owning your career, which is about setting a vision for where you want to go, connecting to a purpose, um, setting goals, making a plan, getting help uh, where you need it, um, and doing the things to set yourself up for success uh, in your where you're going in your career. The second part is a lot more practical. It's about uh, owning your future or preparing for the future because you never know what is going to come. Right, new opportunity. You might get laid off. Your job changes. A global, global pandemic might hit. Who knows? Uh, and uh, so that one is is laying out. A lot of the really practical tips that I think could be helpful for people for preparing for that future of work, next career change, things like investing in continuous learning, building that network that's going to set you up for success in the future. Okay. (laughs) And then the third part is all about um, that mindset uh, shift and how to really take ownership of your life. And I talk about the mindset shift, having the right mindset to be successful. Um, And I talk about... uh, the, mind, the book Mindset by Dr. Carl Dweck and having an importance of having a growth mindset instead of a, a fixed mindset.
1: The book sounds absolutely amazing and really, really relevant right about now, actually, because thinking about the fact that a lot of people are unfortunately have lost their jobs or actually some are actually pivoting into new careers and trying to think about what is my vision? What is my purpose? What should I do next? This sounds like a great step-by-step practical guide to kind of walk them through what they need to do next.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I want to help people prepare for that next career change for the future of work, whatever it may be. And you could be in a job now and you're pretty happy, but you still never know what's going to come on down the line. Um, or you might have been laid off. And I know a lot of people who have been laid off during this pandemic, quite a few in my network and new ones all the time. Uh, and so that's a time for reflection. It's a pivotal point in your career, right? And it's, it's a time to maybe find that next opportunity. And even though it, it, it's awful in the moment, it could create new opportunities to try new things. And I've had a lot of those challenging moments in my career, where I felt like I was so frustrated, things were not going my way. um, But all of them were part of the journey to get me to where I am now, which I'm really happy about. And I know that for people that are facing those challenging situations, um, things are going to work out for you, especially if you're willing to take Ownership, if you're willing to start being really intentional with how you're spending your time and where you're going with your career and connecting with the right people. That's why I have uh, a couple chapters on building your network and the importance of using that um, because whether you're just kind of casually setting yourself up for success or you really need to make a change now, um, going out and building relationships with people, especially people who are doing the things that you want to be doing, is critical. I think it can be so valuable. You know, when I think back across my career, um, very few jobs, uh, almost all jobs and business opportunities I've gotten have come through personal relationships, introductions, referrals, right? Um, you know, I think once I applied for a job online and got it. Uh, and other people may be different, but I find most people, uh, the best jobs they get are often through those introductions, those personal relationships. And the more relations you, relationships you have, the easier it is going to be to go out and get that next job down the line.
1: I'm curious to learn, what was the spark the catalyst for you to leave your initial career and actually go to start working for yourself?
0: Well, um, I discovered the world of entrepreneurship way back, um, after college or university, as you might call it, uh, in 2002 or 2003, I read a book called rich dad, poor dad by Robert Kiyosaki, which was my introduction to entrepreneurship has been for probably millions of other people. Uh, there were no entrepreneurs in my family. My family Uh, My parents were educators, teachers in high school. And um, so that kind of opened up my world. And I thought, I really want to try this. And uh, at that point, uh, my wife and I moved across the country. And uh, I I tried my hand at a few startups. I joined a couple of startup companies. I started a couple of small little ventures. And everything failed. Nothing worked out. Um, I also worked, uh, I know you like to talk about leadership on this podcast. Uh, As I was going into some of those startups, I worked for some of the worst managers, leaders I have had. I mean, just absolute tyrants, jerks, um, terrible people. And uh, I learned a lot about leadership as well, what doesn't work. And then I got into the corporate world for a while, um, needed to pay the bills. And I went back to school, got an MBA. Um, I eventually got into corporate consulting. And um, Found a job with a consulting global consulting company that I loved and it allowed me to travel all over the world and work with clients in in different situations. A lot, work with a lot of executives from cool tech companies, and uh, I learned a lot from that experience. And things were going well, except that I wasn't meeting all the requirements in the job. Um, I tend to not be very detail oriented, and that held me back from some of the roles I, I wanted to get into that required some project management skills, and so. There was a pivotal moment where um, I had to sit. I sat down with a senior leader in the company who basically said, "You're not cutting it in this way, but you really excel at sales and these other things." And I'm going to create a new role for you. And I'm very lucky that, uh, again, I know you like to talk about leadership. But I'm very lucky that this this leader, Jessica, um, sat me down and created that opportunity for me because she could have easily just let me go, uh, like she had. I'd seen her do for so many other people, and that set me on a new trajectory getting into sales. And then um, along the way, I discovered the personal development and I got back into this idea of entrepreneurship and started studying it. And the first podcast I started um, about three and a half years ago was about entrepreneurship so that I could just interview entrepreneurs and learn everything that I could and started building a network in that space and going to podcast conferences and things like that. And I got more and more eager to, you know, try to make that jump. But I didn't know what the heck I was going to do. What did I have to offer? What kind of business would I start? And then an opportunity came my way, again, through a relationship, uh, like most of the jobs and opportunities that, that I've gotten um, from my friend, Bennett Phillips, who I'd met at a conference many years earlier, who basically asked me to come partner with him on, in a business that he was in, selling and running training programs. And so I did that for a couple of years. And then this year, 2020, after the pandemic hit, Um, went into some more pivotal moments with, you know, things changing with business. Uh, You know, you and I talked about this before we started recording. As of March, my whole business was selling and running in-person workshops and I was flying all over the country and the world uh, running workshops and that has completely changed. And uh, so I went out completely on my own this year as an independent, you know, author, consultant, speaker, whatever you want to call it. And I started launching new things like the membership community I run, the virtual summit, working on the book. I'm creating content from the book. Um, and so I'm always just pivoting, learning, growing, and I, and I have a kind of a vision for where I want to go. Um, but I also on a mission to really impact the lives of as many people as possible and help people, um, live a life of more intentionality, you know, a happier, more fulfilled life. Like I've created for myself. I want to help more people do that. So that's the point of the book and everything that I'm doing. And I think being an entrepreneur again, and, 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 this is in the book, no matter what you do, I think for a leader, for an entrepreneur, if you're going to be successful, self-awareness is so important, right? And I've, I've like, looked into myself so many different ways and learned so much. And I have learned to have kind of this rebel streak about me. I don't really like working for other people, right? <laughs> um, and I like being able to create things. And so, for me, it's beneficial. I really love and I like risk. So I love being out on my own. But again, that is not for everybody. And the whole point of this is to find out what you like, what you wanna do, where you wanna go, and then start to be really intentional about getting there so that you are working in the career that you wanna work in, that you're living the life that you wanna live because we only really get one shot and I want people to make the most of it.
1: That's um, thinking about going through that journey. Self-awareness requires a lot of self-reflection and um just let me through some of the stuff that you've you've gone through you've talked in the past around how you had to make when you were going through this on this personal development journey you made some massive changes financially and as you were making those changes obviously like you've talked about you've been married for 16 years you had your partner there who wasn't necessarily aligned to on the same page as you were but you guys have gone through that navigated that and obviously your, your your marriage is up and running it's great you've got two beautiful kids but i just want to talk about navigating that space when you are going on that journey and having a partner, either when you're married or girlfriend, a boyfriend, whatever it is, how do you actually have those crucial but tough conversations and get alignment with that person who's in your life?
0: Yeah, that is a really, really tough challenge. Um, and I say that not only from my own personal experience, but from dozens and dozens of conversations with others uh, when you start to go on a journey where you feel like you are transforming and changing, and maybe your partner is not ready for that, they're not on board, they might even be resistant to it. Um, I don't know if I've discovered really the answer for that, um, but what I've learned through this process, and again, I've been married for 16 years, my wife and I have been through many challenging times, a lot of ups and downs. Uh, things are very good now, but only because we've done a lot of work to get to where we are. Um, you know this, the, I think the, the best thing is the simplest thing, which is that communication is so, so, so critical and important to be talking about what you're doing, where you are in your journey, um, meeting somebody else where they are. And if they're not ready for it, maybe giving them space to not be ready for it. I see so many people. Um, I was involved in a uh, really intimately involved in this uh, dad's uh, mastermind community for a couple of years. And I made many friends through that. And I saw this happen many times where a lot of guys said, hey, I'm going on this journey. My wife is not, not going with me. And this is not like a gender thing, because I'm sure that the situation has been flipped many times, too, where women are making—there's a lot of women out there who are saying, I've been going through this transformation, and my husband is not going with me. Or, you know, or a man and a man, whatever, right? Everybody's got their different situations. Um, but in, because I was in this dad's community and, you know, mostly heterosexual men who were saying, you know, my wife is not coming with me. It's hard. And what I've learned is that A, you got to communicate. B, when you try to make people do things that they don't want to do, it doesn't usually go very well, right? So a lot of times people will try to force their partner to come with them. I've done that. My wife has done that to me on certain things as well. Um, And one thing I learned a long time ago you can do some coaching. I've gotten into coaching as well uh, is that when you try to coach someone who doesn't want to be coached, it's called nagging, right? (laughs) (laughs) so you need to do this and you need to do that. Right. Um, it's, it's a lot about communication and giving space and just saying like, this is what's working really well for me. I would love for you to come with me on this journey. Um, but maybe you need to do it your own way. And I also think a lot of times people are resistant to getting that coaching or advice or help from their spouse. So maybe they need to hear it from somebody else. Right. So, My wife came a little bit later into the personal development journey and she came through this other couple that we became friends with and built a strong friendship with uh, another woman who convinced her to come on to this journey and went through this really intense leadership development program. And then I followed, then she recruited me into that and I followed her into it. And now we've both gone through some shared experiences together that allow us to have um, you know, a similar language, a simple language that we can use to communicate with each other. and it's still a work in progress, right? We still get in arguments and fights all the time and disagreements, um, but we have more tools now to work things through and see where each other are, where we're going. And we are still working on a goal to try to get more aligned where not only are we, um, you know, life partners and uh, romantic partners and good friends, Um, But we want to do more together in business as well. And so far, we haven't completely pulled that off, but we're starting to put that vision together. And for some couples, they never want to do that. For others, they do. And I think it's just really important to continue to have those conversations and maybe even learn from other people, get other people involved, You know, join groups, go to therapy, whatever works and helps. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Um, But those are some of the things that have worked for
1: us. You are also an entrepreneur. That's part of our journey, isn't it? Yeah,
0: so uh, she uh, is a former journalist uh, who is now a uh, documentary producer. She produced a documentary last year and is working on a new one now. And uh, she's a coach as well. And she is really, really like I got into coaching because I thought I wanted to be a coach and help people. And I still do that a little bit. Uh, But she's a million times better than me. She's a really phenomenal coach. So she's starting to build her, her practice, her business around some of those skills and things she's doing. Um, and, you know, we're both kind of still figuring out our way, but we have also, you know, come together on like shared values and we both strongly value freedom and we want to be able to uh, kind of live where we want, you know, work from home, that sort of thing. Now everybody's working from home. but um, <laughs> uh, So for both of us, we want to be entrepreneurs, even though that comes with a lot of challenges, usually, uh, you know, less benefits and income and you know healthcare challenges and things like that, but we we strongly value that. So we want to both be, uh, you know, running our own businesses and and supporting each other in that.
1: How has that journey that you guys have been through? How's that helped you in your business? How's that helped you the way you approach business and your approach clients? Where you learn and grow?
0: Well, for one thing, you realize that everybody's human, right? And everybody has challenges going on. Um, You know, no matter how good things look on social media, uh, they've always got stuff going on. Uh, Number two, I've started to incorporate my wife more into everything I do. So, She's so brilliant with a lot of the, the stuff. And for a long time, I tried to do everything on my own. And now I ask her opinion on almost everything. And we have conversations about it. So she really helped me build that virtual summit as far as laying out the, the strategy and the story of what it was going to look like. Um, when I started, uh, or when I finished writing my book, I gave it to her and she read it. And as a former journalist and an excellent writer, she was able to go through and clean some things up and say, I think you should take this out and move this over here I think the third section is too long, and I ended up taking out like a whole like two whole chapters, um, which was hard, but the right decision uh, to make the book a little bit more succinct and I was really grateful to have her advice and then I hired a professional editor who really cleaned it up, uh, and he did a fantastic job as well. Um, but you know, I start to consult we consult with each other on everything that we're doing, and it's it's cool to be able to do that, and I love seeing other people who are really good at collaborating and working with others whether it's a a spouse a life partner or just business partner clients whatever it may be so you know i start to look for more of those things and it's also just allowed me to be um she's really good at reading people and i've learned a lot from her in uh reading people and their emotions and who they are and where they're at still not nearly as good as her but you know trying to get better all the time and develop more of that empathy and uh eq as they say
1: that's amazing to um, hear that because i am even going back to what you said previously in your prior role, when you talked about a lack of detail not being your, your strong suit, but you've got your sales right there. Then your wife comes in with the detail, which helped to build your course with, and you merge that together. It sounds like a dream team. It did. Well, you know, and,
0: it, and again, going back to self awareness, right? This is not just about you um, working with your spouse, but finding people that you can work with that complement your skills is just a beautiful thing. And I mentioned earlier that I ran a conference. Back in January, uh, I didn't do that on my own. I partnered with my friend, Bennett Phillips, and we had a perfect partnership in that we complemented each other in our skills and that he handled all the details, everything behind the scene, coordinating the speakers, The logistics of the event, the agenda, all that stuff. While I was out there just marketing like crazy, posting every day on LinkedIn, running the podcast, um, doing, you know, being kind of the showman. When we got to the conference, he was very happy to be, again, behind the scenes, making sure everything's running smoothly while I'm on the stage, introducing the speakers, welcoming everybody. And we're both very comfortable in our roles and very complimentary. Again, I'm not detail oriented. So if I was in charge of that agenda and the details, we would have been in trouble. But he managed everything perfectly. And vice versa, he doesn't wanna be on stage. He's not that guy, right? He's like, keep me behind the scenes. And I'm like, get me up there, right? This is great. So we compliment each other well. uh, That's important. And then, you know, as I'm running this business now, in addition to I've partnered with him on some things and partnering with my wife, I hired an assistant uh, a few months ago. Her name's Stephanie, and she's fantastic at keeping track of all the details and everything that slips through the cracks. And I told her that right up front this is what I need. I'm not detail oriented. I let things fall through the cracks all the time and I need help keeping up with all this stuff. And it, you know, again, coming back to knowing your strengths and your weaknesses and, you know, we're not always in a position to be able to outsource or delegate those things, but when you can, oh my gosh, it can make a world of difference because then you can focus more on the things that you're good at, your zone of excellence. Uh, If you've ever read the book, The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks, your zone of excellence or your zone of genius, you know, those are the things that you really excel at and the more time you can spend doing the things that you are good at and that you love and less time doing those frustrating things, the happier and more successful you're going to be. And a lot of times that means you need to find a way to outsource or delegate uh, or avoid doing that stuff, which is not always available to everybody, right? Depending on resources and job type and everything. But the more self-awareness you have, the more resources you have, the more you can make that stuff happen.
1: That is a tweetable quote right there. <laughs> Tweet it. You obviously talked to a lot of leaders and experts on your podcast on the different um, companies that you've been involved with as well over the years. I just want to find out, how do you define leadership? And what are the top three qualities that you've either seen, experienced, or discussed?
0: Mm. It's, it's an interesting question because I think uh, leadership is one of those terms that gets thrown around all the time. To mean different things? Is it a manager? Do you have to be a man, like manage people to be a leader? Can anybody be a leader? Um, I've done an interview with uh, my friend Larry Yach, who's a, a retired Navy SEAL officer, uh, who talked about the difference between management and leadership and that it's the manager's job to enable the leaders to go out and do their work. Um, when I think about leadership, I, you know, at the core of it, I think it's about making everybody around you better. If you are managing them, it's about enabling them to get their job done. If you're not, if you're on a team, it's about helping everybody uh, be successful. And a lot of people get an ego about leadership and think that to be a great leader, they need to be the smartest person in the room or they need to be the most talented. And it's it's really not about that at all. You know, the best leaders are the people that enable those around them to get their work done, enable them to be successful, and really are are, you know, make you want to work for them, want to follow them, work with them. And that doesn't mean they're happy and fun all the time. They could be challenging you, pushing you outside of your comfort zone. Um, you know, they they could be hard to deal with sometimes, but they really um, force you or help you excel in your work. And so some of the qualities uh, I think of as a great leader. And I've been thinking about this a lot lately because I've already been thinking about my next book that I want to write, which is about leadership called Modern Leadership. Um, some of this is borrowed from another book called Multipliers by Liz Weissman, uh, who spoke at my conference back in January. Um, and so I think the best leaders now are those, again, who enable people around them to be successful. Uh, so they're able to find the right people, um, give them the education, skills, training, whatever they need, and then, and then get out of the way uh, I think the best leaders today are uh, empathetic. They understand their people and what they need. They really connect with people. They're inclusive. They create an inclusive culture where people can feel comfortable um, being who they are at work, right? And we, this has come to the forefront and become more and more important, um, but they create psychological safety and this inclusiveness where people don't feel pressure to try to be someone they're not, and they can really just be themselves and bring their strengths and, and everything that they can do To work. Um, And I think the the best leaders are also challengers. They push people outside of their comfort zones uh, and really help them grow and learn and get better and improve um, so that they can potentially go on and do other things, better things down the road. Uh, And so when you can find a leader that combines a lot of those things, uh, you know, in my book, I talk about uh, Jessica, the woman who, you know, kind of I had that hard moment with where she said, you're not really getting promoted because you're not doing well as the project manager, but I've created this new role for you. Uh, she's one of the best leaders I've ever worked for, if not the best leader I've ever worked for, because I think she does all of these things really well. So if you find a leader that can do that, you know, latch on, follow them, learn from them and, um, and, and just embrace all that you can.
1: You just talked about um, organization creating psychological safety and inclusion. How, how, how can they do that? What's the best way that you have seen that done or best example that you can give what you've seen in an environment where there is psychological safety and inclusion?
0: Well, I'm seeing a lot of companies that are making a big push towards that now. There's plenty of research out there that, that says that you know the best cultures do have psychological safety and, and more of an inclusive culture where people feel more comfortable. Uh, it starts with the leaders and how they talk to their people, how they treat people, um, how you show up and how you allow other people to show up. Uh, and then, you know, you have to start to look for, uh, you know, these days there's a lot of talk about unconscious bias and microaggressions, you know, starting to look for those things. And is that stuff happening? Can you eradicate that that bias from the workplace uh, where everybody has a fair shot? Because, you know, you can talk, and there's there's I've read some great books on this, but you can talk about diversity all day long, and some say, oh, diversity really drives innovation. But diversity doesn't drive innovation if there's not inclusiveness, right? So you can hire a lot of different people, but if half of those people don't feel comfortable speaking up because they don't fit in, then you're not going to get their best ideas. So creating an inclusive culture is not just about, um, you know, making people happy and doing the right thing. Like it can seriously create more innovation in your business and help you avoid being disrupted down the line. So I think it's a it's a critical business decision uh, to focus on creating those things. And that means, again, creating an environment where people feel comfortable being themselves, speaking up, sharing their ideas. They don't feel like they're going to get, um, you know, sneered at or, or fired or whatever for for saying the things that they think could be beneficial or helpful or sharing new ideas, trying a new project, um, trying something and failing, right? What if I try something and fail? Am I going to get fired? Um, the best companies, the most innovative companies are allowing people, you hear about Google, Apple, Amazon, allowing people to try these things. Um, and then they end up creating more innovative products as a result.
1: It's so true. I think we've seen a lot of it, especially during COVID, where a lot of companies have just kind of just let go of the red tape and just be like, here's what we need to do, go ahead and do it. And people are doing amazing things that normally would take years in like four to six weeks.
0: Yeah. I've seen so, you know, having so many of these conversations uh, with people from organizations that were very traditional that said, uh, I just, right before this, I had a conversation with a woman who works in talent development for a huge retail pharmacy chain in the United States. And she said, we had a very traditional, what she called a butts in seats, Type culture where if you were not in your seat in your office, then you didn't exist and you weren't getting credit for working. Right, uh, and so everybody had to be in the office all the time. And then the pandemic hit, and and if you brought up the idea like maybe we could let people work from home, the leaders would say, "Oh, that will never work." Right, they won't be productive. And then the pandemic hits, and everybody goes home, and everybody's working. And productivity goes up, not down, right? Everybody's getting... Now, there are, I think, trade-offs. There are wellness challenges. There are a lot of people working probably too much these days. Um, but it's proven that we can be innovative. We can get these things done. And it also shows uh, that problems, challenges often create innovation because then we have to find a way to operate differently. And a lot of people
1: have. That is so true. How do you look after your, your wellness, your mental wealth, and your mindfulness? obviously it's, it's a busy period. You're at home, you've got the kids, you're also working, Your wife's working. Uh, How do you look after you? I, I think it's so, so important.
0: Um, and I put that in the book as well. Uh, some advice in the, the third section on owning your life that you need to take care of yourself and take care of your health because it is a marathon, not a sprint. It's a long run, right? We've all, we all have many years in front of us and the healthier you are, uh, the more energy you're going to have, the more thoughtful and innovative you're going to be. The more you're going to be able to get stuff done. So, um, I try to make sure I get enough sleep. You know, usually between six and eight hours a night, more towards eight if I can. Um, I meditate every single day, uh, so I take care of my 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 mental health, if you will. Uh, I generally exercise five to seven days a week. I'm really big on you know health and fitness and getting that exercise and, and try to eat a healthy diet and then. The other thing is setting boundaries to be able to go off and do fun things, have dinner with my family. Um, I generally do not schedule meetings after 6 p.m. because I have dinner with my family every single night. And then I do work a little bit on weekends. I love what I do, so I don't have a problem with that. Um, But I also go out and do stuff with my kids and my family every weekend as well. And we take trips and vacations, probably not enough. Um, But I think the important things are taking care of your mental health, your physical health, eating right. Um, all those sleeping enough, all those things give you the energy to be able to get more done. Um, and then uh, setting those boundaries to you know, be able to do certain things in your life that you want to do. Um, one of the things I talk about in the book too that I'm big on is so many people say, oh, I wish that I could work out more or wish that I could read more or do X or Y, but I just don't have enough time. And f- quite frankly, that's not true right people are lying to themselves and are lying to others you do have enough time to do anything you want if you live in a first world country where you have free you know generally free will right there are some places in the world where you know the government still tells you exactly what to do right but for probably 80 85% of the world um you do have the ability to do whatever you want it's just you're choosing to do the things you do like if you work 80 hours a week that's that's your choice and it's okay to make that choice. There's no judgment. Um, maybe you, you really want this job to be successful. Um, but to say that you don't have time is usually a lie. It, I, I want people to adjust that to say, I haven't made time. And then so well, how can you make time? You know, can you work a little bit less? Can you stop watching? Can you watch a little bit less Netflix and go to the gym instead, right? Um, maybe not go out drinking with your friends or whatever uh, and go to the gym. Or could you spend more time studying or learning? For me, Um, one of the shifts I made, especially when I got into um, this idea of personal development, was after I read a book called The Miracle Morning uh, by Hal Elrod. And um, he talks about getting up basically an hour earlier than you normally would every morning so that you can do those things that you need to do. And so I started doing that four years ago. I've been doing it ever since. And one of the big um, measurable shifts is that I love books. I love reading, right? But what I would normally do, and I think a lot of people do this, is I would open a book at night when I get into bed and and start reading, right? And if it's a fiction book, I usually read for a little while, but if it's a business book, I typically read about two pages and then I fall asleep. And so how many books would I read a year? I'd read about one to two books per year um, on that pace. And when I adopted this new plan of The Miracle Morning, um, I started um, setting apart 15 to 20 minutes every morning to read a couple of chapters of a book. And for the last four or five years in a row, I've read between 25 and 30 books a year just because I have dedicated time in the morning to read. And that's the only difference. And it makes a world of difference. And it comes down to your priorities and scheduling in time for the things that you want to do and then making it happen.
1: Intentionality. I love it. Audio books or physical book?
0: For me, I read uh, physical books and yeah. I use a Kindle a lot. I've uh, actually never really listened to an audiobook. I know a lot of people love them. I listen to a lot of podcasts when I'm out walking or driving, uh, but I just, for some reason, I really like holding a book. And even if it's on a Kindle, I like holding it and, and reading it.
1: So just coming to the end, just got a couple of quick questions for you. We've talked a lot about books. So I want to know what your top three favorite books are and why. Uh,
0: top three favorite books. So, uh, I'll drop one. I just mentioned the miracle morning by Hal Elrod. That's the book that changed my life. So, uh, I mentioned that in my book, uh, the book mindset by Dr. Carol Dweck again, was a game changer for me. And one I recommend to people all the time. Um, when it comes to leadership, I love the book multipliers by Liz Weissman, um, which I mentioned as well. Uh, I think that has just, changed uh, things for a lot of leaders and I run a workshop based on that book and I love all the the research and the things that come out of that. Um, and uh, I don't know, I'm trying to think of throwing like a fun one in there. Uh, I really enjoyed the book Ready Player One, which I forgot the name of the author, um, but Steven Spielberg made it into a movie last year. And it was, uh, I thought the movie was really well done too.
1: I actually did know that came from a book. I've seen a movie, I didn't, I didn't know that came from a book.
0: Yeah, yeah. The book is really good and very in depth on 80s, uh, like video game and movie trivia. It's pretty cool.
1: So, looking back at your, your journey, what would you say has been the biggest lesson that you've had, that you've learned?
0: The biggest lesson for me, um, you know, it goes back to self-awareness and and getting into that personal development journey is that I really, really need um, learning and growth in order to thrive. And so I make sure that I'm getting that all the time. may not be the same for everybody, um, but I do think that people a lot of growth comes and fulfillment comes through growth and overcoming challenges and not enough people are spending time learning and growing. And I was drifting a lot through my twenties. I was having fun. I was building a network, um, but I wasn't really growing that much. And so I always felt like there was something missing. And so when I made that shift and started investing time regularly and learning and trying new things and adopting this growth mindset, it just made me so, so much happier and more fulfilled and uh, you know, not everybody's going to be out there like trying to build a business, but I want people to become more self-aware about who they are, where they're going, um, trying things on a regular basis, and continue to learn and grow, adopt that growth mindset, and uh, see what it does for you and for your life. And uh, that's why I put all those things in my book, because I want people to truly take ownership and continue to learn and grow.
1: And I guess the last question would be What do you want your legacy to be?
0: Well, my legacy, first and foremost, comes back to my family. I've got a wife and two kids. Um, I want them to remember me as uh, a husband and father who was very loving, who always cared for them, was there for them, took care of them, uh, and set a great example for them. Uh, And then I want a legacy. I'm building a legacy in the world as someone who was helpful, friendly, who was inspiring. Uh, and who helped inspire, educate thousands, if not millions of people to go out and live a life more intentionally and and really enjoy their lives.
1: Where can people find more about you, tap into you, learn more about the book?
0: Well, uh, the book, again, is called Own Your Career, Own Your Life. It's available on Amazon and anywhere else you you buy books online. Um, My podcasts are called The Talent Development Hot Seat and The Andy Stort Show, and I'm active on Uh, social media everywhere, especially LinkedIn and Instagram. So wherever you want to go to connect with me, follow me. Uh, And my website is... uh, Actually, uh, let me give you uh, a URL for a free report I created uh, for those that are interested in improving their careers. I created a quick report of the top five most common career mistakes that people make. And, uh, you know, it might be interesting to go look at that and see, are you making one of these mistakes? Or are you about to make one of these mistakes? And this is from several interviews and, and tapping into my network. Uh, so you can go to ownyourcareerownyourlife.com slash mistakes, ownyourcareerownyourlife.com slash mistakes. And you can download that free report uh, as well as get information about the book, uh, Own Your Career, Own Your Life. And uh, again, find me on social and let me know what
1: you learned. That is absolutely brilliant. All the links and how to find Andy, find out more about the book, are also going to be in the show notes. And I'll highly recommend you get on your career, on your life. It gets real practical. It's not wishy washy, it's straight up built on knowledge from what he's been through, as well as reading and loads of brilliant guests he's had over the years on this podcast as well. So you're definitely going to find it and it'll help you move you forward. Even if you're not moving careers, it will help in your life, both personally and professionally. So I highly recommend it. Andy, thank you so much for coming on the show, having a great conversation with you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. This is Everyday Leadership. Don't forget, I have show notes on my website, everydayleadership.bussprout.com. So check that out. And if you've enjoyed today's episode, make sure you subscribe and tell someone else. Appreciate your support. I'll see you next time. This is Everyday Leadership.